Job 19, 23-29 Oh, that my words were written! Oh, that they were inscribed in a book! Oh, that with an iron pen and lead they were engraved in the rock forever! For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. Whom shall I see for myself? And my eyes shall behold, and not another. My heart faints within me. If you say, How we will pursue him, and the root of the matter is found in him, be afraid of the sword, for wrath brings the punishment of the sword, that you may know there is a judgment. I don't know if you guys have caught on yet or not, but we are officially in the Christmas season, right? I don't know if you can tell. Um, we're not used to having a big tree in the sanctuary. Thank you, Chris, for scrambling this morning and making it possible. It actually had fallen over. There's several people were responsible, but Chris came and saved the day. Well, I guess Greg was with him, so so we won't give him all the credit. <clears throat> but uh, anyway, so so here we are. It's Christmas. Everywhere you go, everywhere you go. I mean, you walk into a coffee shop, you hear Christmas songs being sung by the likes of Britney Spears and Justin Bieber. You know, they're singing our songs, right? I mean, everybody gets in on this. Stores, they're taking their, they're taking their part, you know, they're, they're playing their part, they're giving you great deals on, 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 on enabling you, they're enabling you to build a kingdom of your own here for as cheap as possible. This is the time to buy, right? And, and there, everywhere you turn, everywhere you turn, if you'll just come and get this, we'll give you a great deal and you're gonna have a great Christmas because of it. You're gonna, you're gonna be happy, you're gonna be, you're gonna be much better off with these, these, these things. Our events, you know, who else has a calendar that's beginning to fill up with family events and job events? I, 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 I can tell you that when I worked at, in, 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 um, in this, in the, in the world, I guess is a better, I don't know of a better way to say it. When I had a job that was at a, at a place where other people were employed, it, it never ceased to amaze me that we didn't really like hanging out with each other most days of the week. We saw each other more than we saw our own families. And then here comes a party. We got to get together for Christmas. That's what we do, right? I mean, the idea, and then, then you have family events. And if you get along with your family, that's great. But if you don't, and then there's church events. You know, we've got a Christmas party coming up on the 15th. And we're doing these things essentially to help us enjoy the season and celebrate the season together because that's really what we seem to think it's about, right? Being together and celebrating this season. We love it. We get all excited about it. But the reality is, is that in the midst of all of this, it gets extremely crazy, extremely busy, and we get off track. We get sidetracked, we get distracted, and we forget about the reason for the season. That just came to me. I don't know where I've heard that before. But here at The Way, every year, we come to, we come, no matter what we're doing, no matter, no matter where we're at in the scripture, we stop and we observe what's called Advent. The word Advent just simply means arrival or, or coming. It, it's just a, it's a time in church tradition. It's a time where the four Sundays before Christmas are set aside to, to anticipate and prepare for the coming of Christ. And we exist in a, in a specific and special time in history because we're not like, like, like as, as you sang that song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and you talked about, and you, and you sang the chorus that says, Rejoice, rejoice, uh, because God is going to come to you. Emmanuel is going to come to you, O Israel, Israel, Israel. 
As, as you sang that, you might have had in your mind before Jesus, right? Before he came, you can imagine yourself a, a good Jewish person getting together with other good Jewish people and singing this song. We live in a special time in history when we're not just waiting for Jesus to show up, we're waiting for him to come again. See, at a certain point in history, at a certain time in history, he came, he put on flesh, he dwelt among us. He lived a perfect life, he died a sacrificial death, and he rose again from the grave, and he promised that at another specific point in history, he would return, and he would take us to be with him. And so we don't just gather here today. We don't gather just in this season. The Christmas time of year, the, the season we're in, is not just special just because He came. It is special because He came. And we can sing the songs of Christmas with fervor and passion and be moved and excited because He is coming again. You see, He didn't leave you here alone. He didn't leave you here with no hope, nothing to look forward to, that this is it. There is more to come. And this year we're going to follow a very traditional uh, flow of the season. We're going to focus on four traditional topics of the season as we consider our, our wait here, our, our time in waiting as we wait for His return. We're going to consider hope. And so today, as we, as we read of hope and our hope in Christ, Amy came and she lit a candle that represents hope. It's the, it's the prophecy candle or the hope candle. It's a, it's always looking forward. It's always about what is to come. And that's today what we're going to discuss. We're going to have hope. We're going to look at peace. We're going to look at joy and we're going to, to look at, um, love in the coming weeks. And then we're going to close it out with a Christmas Eve service that, that will draw it all together. That, that will come together, celebrate his first advent, and will encourage one another to wait well as we look forward to his second coming. But unfortunately, we need this encouragement because we don't wait so well very often, do we? Would you consider yourself to be a patient person? I mean, would you consider yourself to be a person who waits well? I think in our culture, even those that think they're very patient, because we're so used to getting everything right now, you know, I mean, we're so used to instant gratification. I don't have to, I don't have to work hard to learn something. I just Google it. Right? I mean, I can know the answer to a question. I can prove myself right, right now. My wife, she, she doesn't have a chance anymore. Because Google makes, make, just proves me right all the time. Ask her. She'll tell you. I don't have to wait. I don't have to look forward to seeing somebody. I don't have to wait till I can get to the library and pull out a book. You know, I, I don't have to wait. If I want food, I can have it now. I don't even have to really cook for it. I, I don't have to work hard for it. I, I just go, go go get it, you know. Fast food. We get upset when fast food doesn't happen fast. Have you ever been in, in McDonald's and, and they don't give you your food as quickly as you'd like? Suddenly fast food feels like slow food and wait a minute, that's not what I'm paying for. I want it now. See, even those of us that claim to be patient, I think we don't know what it is to wait anymore. We need to be reminded to wait. But here's the beauty of our waiting. We're not the only ones waiting. You see, Jesus anticipates His return as well. He longs for the day that He comes to gather His bride and bring them to be with Him. And as He waits, 
to return, he empowers us to wait. See, in order to empower us for our wait, he gives us hope. The verses that Heather read just a moment ago from Job, they may be some of the most hopeful words ever written. If you know Job's story, or if you've read it before, you have some idea already of how stark the contrast is between these words in chapter 19, verses 23 through 27, with those of the rest of the book. If you don't, let me just let you in on, on, on the details. The book opens and it introduces us to this man whose name is Job. He'd been greatly blessed with physical, tangible wealth. It says that he had ten children. This was in a day and age when children were blessings, not burdens. And, and so they had big families. Ten children, seven boys and three daughters. I'm, just, I'm thankful I didn't have any daughters. I'm just going to be honest. I'm so glad. Just, just saying. This is a difficult world that we live in with daughters. 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 oxen, and 500 female donkeys. I don't know, I've, I've never understood why it calls out the female donkeys. Maybe he didn't have any other, you know, maybe, maybe that's all there is is female donkeys. I don't know. 500 female donkeys. That's a big bunch of stuff. That's a lot of animals. It's demonstrating that he is very wealthy. And it's not just that he has these animals. He has these lands in which these animals graze, in which they're taken care of. He is very wealthy, and it also mentions that he has very many servants. The description of Job, in fact, if you go back and you read in chapter 1, the description of Job is he is the, the greatest man in all the East. He's like the Donald Trump of his day. I mean, if you think of, of physical and tangible wealth, you could, you could uh, compare him to Donald Trump. I mean, he had it all. People looked at him and probably longed and were envious of his things and his stuff. But all that changed really rapidly. Changed just like that. In one day. In really just a matter of minutes. Job is confronted with one of the greatest struggles he probably ever endured. Maybe the greatest struggle he had ever endured. His oxen and his donkeys were, were being watched over by his servants and some Sabaeans came and they killed the servants and they stole, they stole the donkeys. His sheep and the servants that were watching over them were killed as fire fell from heaven. I've never seen anything like this. Can't imagine it. Fire fell from heaven and burned them up. His camels also stolen and the servants that were watching them killed. His children, seven boys, three daughters, at a party. This is what they did. They partied. They, they, they enjoyed their father's wealth, and they lived a, a, lash, a, a lavish and, 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 and um, uh, just a, a wealthy lifestyle. You know, they, 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 they hung out at parties. They were socialites, and they threw parties, and they hung out at parties, and he would actually make sacrifices on their behalf just in case they had sinned against God. A wind picks up and blows the house over and kills them all and everyone else inside. Basically, four servants make it out of these different circumstances and one right after the other come and confront Job with this horrific 
news. Before one could finish speaking, the other one showed up, and the next one showed up, and the next one showed up, and suddenly everything that Job knew in life, essentially everything that he owned and the things that he loved were gone. What did Job do? He mourned. It says in the Scripture that he tore his robe, he shaved his head. Some of you think, that's not the way I want to mourn. I don't, I don't think I'd go that far, but I'd cry a lot. I wonder, I wonder, I just wonder if the second half of what Job did would be the same thing that we would do or even someone like Donald Trump would do. Because as he mourned, it says that he fell on his face and worshipped. He didn't get angry. He didn't get bitter. He didn't cuss God. He didn't throw, throw curses at Him. He didn't flip Him off and turn His back and walk the other direction. He didn't decide He didn't want anything to do with Him. He fell on His face and worshipped. And if it wasn't bad enough, the one person of His immediate family that was left, His wife, who you'd think might come to his side and support him. Oh, Joe, what are we going to do? And maybe mourn with him. Starts nagging. Husbands, don't, don't throw an elbow right now. This is the wrong time to do that. It's not good. She started nagging. Why would you continue to worship this God? Why would you even want anything to do with him? Curse him and die, she said. I think the unfortunate truth is it's not just wives that do this. Husbands, wives, I think all too often we find ourselves in a place where we're not offering the supportive word and encouraging a person to lean in Christ and trust in Christ and look to God. To live in this hope, to endure in this hope. But we nag. And, and honestly, you know, you know, you think that might be enough. But there's a second day, second time, the second thing that happens. Again, God allows Satan to come against Job. And Job is, is you know, everything is as it is. He's, he's lost it all. He's suffering. He's hurting. And, and Satan comes against him and, and takes his health from him and covers him with sores. And it says in the Scripture, it says, from the balls or from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head, that means there wasn't an inch, there wasn't a piece of Job's body, even in those most uncomfortable places, he was covered with sores. You know why we call them sores? Because they're sore, they hurt, they're uncomfortable, they're difficult to deal with. This was not a pleasant experience. And to add insult to injury, his friends show up, and it says that they came to bring him comfort and show sympathy. And if you read through Job, it's a long book, and there's a lot of words shared between him and his friends. But if you read very far into it, you begin to recognize his friends are not showing him comfort and sympathy, but they're basically telling him, Job, man, you, did, you, you, you are evil. You did something. You deserve this. You did something, and you ticked God off. You're an evil person. We don't need friends like that, do we? And that's what they did. So everybody that's now around Job is, is verbally abusing him, nagging him. He's lost it all. And what does Job do? 
He hopes in God. He hopes. He offers up a proclamation that is dripping with this confident expectation of something better to come. Oh, he says, oh, that I wish my words were written down. That they were in a book, that they were engraved on a stone and then filled with lead. That's every way, every way in which words could have been recorded at that time. Everything that could have been done to make his words permanent, to be lasting, he wished that they had a way to do it. Because he knows just how important this moment is. Somehow, in the midst of it all, Job recognizes, Job senses, Job, Job sees that this is a moment that's going to, to, to make a difference in all of history. And here, even today, even now, several thousand years later, we are able to read these words and see the great and deep and lasting abiding hope that Job experienced. He says the words that, that, that he wanted recorded, the things that, that he knew needed to be heard, that needed to be remembered, that, that would be proven true. He says, I know that my Redeemer lives. In the midst of all of his loss, in the midst of everything that he saw around him, in the midst of all tangible evidence that he was loved and blessed, in the midst of his destruction, I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last, He will stand upon the earth. Job was able to stay true. He was able to endure. He was able to keep going. Not because of a resiliency within Himself. Isn't that, isn't that what we hear all the time? Just look to yourself. Be yourself. Trust yourself. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Isn't that the message that we, that we live by today that, that, that's proclaimed all around us? This resiliency, this, this endurance, it wasn't within himself. But because he lo lived lo looking forward to a person and a moment that he was confident that would come. He didn't say, man, I'm hopeful because my Redeemer might come. That he might stand upon the earth. He, he wasn't hopeful because it could happen. He wasn't hopeful that it, 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 it just might come to pass. He knew with confidence that it would come. And he didn't know to call his Redeemer Jesus. He didn't know his name. You see, Job doesn't have the benefit of the history that we have. He was looking forward to the first advent. He was looking forward to Jesus' first arrival. He didn't have Grudem's systematic theology to study whether or not he should be pre, post, or, or amillennial. He didn't seem concerned about a rapture of the church or whether it should be, um, or, or whether he should have a covenantal or dispensational view of the end times. He didn't care about any of that. He didn't even, it didn't seem to matter what he cared about. What he knew was that his Redeemer was coming and that he was going to see him. And just as a side point, this really has nothing to do with hope. But if your hope is in any of those theologies, if you're fighting for one of those theologies, one of those doctrines, you're missing the essential point. Jesus is coming back. That's what's essential. Everything else, we're going to have to figure it out as it comes along. 
He's certainly given us clues. He's certainly given us things to look forward to. He's certainly given us uh, uh, instruction to study and to expect. Don't die on one of those hills. Remember this. One day your Redeemer will be here. In the last, your Redeemer will stand upon the earth. And you'll get to see Him in your own flesh with your own eyes. You and not another. That's our hope. See, here's the thing. Hope, it it looks beyond our current circumstances. I mean, if you consider it, if you consider it, he had every reason, everything, every reason in the world he had to turn his back on God. He had every reason to look the other direction. Hope looks beyond our current situation. It is the present possession of something still to come. Because we have hope in Jesus Christ, we have His promises, we own the certainty of the future. But I don't know what's going to happen in the next second. I don't know what happens when I walk out that door. I don't know the situations I walk into tomorrow morning and the day after that and the day after that and the day after that. But this one thing I know, this one thing in Christ I possess, there will be a day when He stands upon this earth and I get to see Him. And I get to be with Him. And everyone else found in Christ has that same promise. We have that possession. We have the certainty of what is to come. And that really, if you think about it, that's the reason to come back to this every year. If, if you think about it, there's, there's reason to come to this place every year because we don't always wait well. When we start into this life, we start into this Christian walk, we, we start with fervor and a fire burning within us that moves us and motivates us and encourages us and energizes us to face struggles and trials and, and, and difficulties. And it, it encourages us to do things that we wouldn't, wouldn't have normally done or th- do things differently than we've done before. It, it encourages us to sacrifice in ways that we could never have imagined before. But what happens as we trot along and the difficulties of our life settle back in. We still have to get up to go to work in the morning. People still dissatisfied with us. We're still not finding it always to be easy. We still experience loss. It's still difficult to give of ourselves more than is comfortable. I think about that in just in the life of this church in the last year. You saw the numbers for those of you that were at our family meeting a few months ago. 40% growth across the board in everything over the last year. Tell me that doesn't come with some growing pains. It does. It, it, not just in size, but in depth. As, as you have been challenged with the idols of your life, I know this because I've walked with many of you through it. You have been challenged. And when an idol is taken away from you, our flesh fights for that. When suddenly you're confronted with the depths of your depravity, you, you want to defend yourself. You want to justify yourself. You want, you want to throw your guard up and say, no, that's not me. You don't, any, you, you don't want anybody to know. Tell me that's not difficult. You see, I know it is. Because not only do I walk through it, I watch and walk with you through it. We, we've had a year of that across the board. It's great stories of God's 
success and God's power, but some very difficult days. I know that in our church, and many of, many of them are not here today, but I know that within our church, there are people that feel tired and overwhelmed. You see, what happens is we don't wait so well. We get, we get impatient and we get distracted. Well, he said he was going to come. When's he going to come? When's he going to get here? When's he going to show up? I, I don't know that I can take this much longer. Jesus, just come. And then when he doesn't show up exactly as we expected or as soon as we wish, we look to things that give us a little more instant gratification. Do those things work for you very well? Do they fill your life? Do they give you a sense of hope that leads to an abiding peace that passes knowledge, that leads to a, an abundant joy and a sense of satisfaction and fullness? Do they help you sense the great love He has for you? You see, I think what happens when we take our eyes off of Jesus and settle for some lesser treasure, impatience having given way to to distraction gives way to emptiness and maybe even eventually bitterness. You see, we don't wait so well. But He's coming. He's coming. And we need to be reminded this every year that we might not lose hope that in the face of the worst of circumstances, in the face of the greatest difficulties, in the midst of the hardest and most difficult circumstances of our life, that we might not lose hope. Hope always looks forward. It never measures itself based on the circumstances of life. But maybe, maybe, just maybe, hope is most most able to be seen, most intelligible in the midst of the darkest days. I read in one of the commentaries I read, they used the illustration of diamonds being viewed on a black cloth. You want to see the beauty and depth of the beauty of a diamond? Lay it down on a black cloth and watch it shimmer and shine. See, we need to be reminded that our hope looks forward and that we possess the certainty of the future. As I, as, as Amy and I were, before we planted a church, we used to do this nursing home ministry. The boys would come with us and there was a group of people that would do this with us and, and we would drag these old people into this room and literally we'd drag them in their wheelchairs. And so I'm not, I'm, <laughs> it was pretty rough, but it's like a captive audience, although they were usually sleeping when I teach. It was okay though, because I, I still did it. But it's just like you guys sometimes, you fall, I just keep on going. Just kidding. But we used to sing this song, and, and this song, even though it's old and probably would never be a song we'd sing today, we'd sing this song, and it still rings in my ears as, as I face just the difficulties of life and, and living a life of humble obedience to my Lord and Savior. And, and I just want you to hear it. See, the, 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 this old world is filled with disappointment and troubles every day. Many times I get discouraged, and I almost lose my way. Then I remember I'm just a pilgrim in this troubled world below that's the reason I keep singing as I go. We're not home yet, children, so keep your eyes on the Savior. Just a few more days to labor, it's, and we'll sit down beside the river. How long, how we long to be with Jesus and our loved one gone before us, there's a better day a coming 
We're not home yet. There's a land filled with milk and honey just waiting for me. Someday Jesus will come and take me over that sea. Then I must keep watching and waiting in this troubled world below. There's one thought that keeps me singing as I go. We're not home yet, children. So keep your eyes on the Savior. Just a few more days to labor and we'll sit down beside the river. How we long to be with Jesus and our loved ones gone before us. There's a better day of coming. We're not home yet. Hope enables us to endure. It gives us an ability to look beyond the struggles, not remove them. It enables us to worship while we mourn. It, it doesn't. Hope isn't about us looking goofy and bubbly all the time. It's not about taking the Ned Flanders approach to life and trying to cover up our difficulties and problems. It's about being able to keep our focus where it belongs. We're going to hurt. We're going to suffer. But hope will rise up within us. Tim Keller said it this way. He says, just like the thermostat in your house, as it cools down, your thermostat kicks on and warms it back up. As the suffering hits, as the overwhelming moments come, the hope in Christ, as you focus on your Savior, will rise up to meet it and, and keep it from crushing you. Keep it from ending you. That's exactly what it did for Job in this most horrific circumstances. Rather than be crushed, he praised God and looked forward to a better day. And, and, and look, it wasn't just that, that better day. Remember, it wasn't just about a moment. It was about a person that would come. He looked forward to a day in which he would see his Redeemer. Not by proxy. He wasn't going to be a representative of his standing there. This was a man who had many servants. And, and when he wanted things done, he sat in, in, in his house and he told his servants to do things. Go take care of my sheep. Go take care of my camels and my female donkeys. Go take care of my oxen. Go, go, go take care of the lands and, and raise the crops. And, 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 and even, even when his children sinned, he didn't ask them to do it. He stood in their place. He acted as a representative for them. He was a man who was used to representation. But not in this moment. There would be no proxy in this moment. In his own flesh, with his own eyes, he would see his Redeemer. Job knew he wasn't home yet. He knew he was a pilgrim on a journey. He knew that one day his Redeemer would be redeeming him. He knew that all things that had gone wrong in his life would one, in some way be made right. He endured great tragedy because of the hope that welled up within him to meet it, to stabilize him in the midst of it. But Job didn't get this from himself. He didn't get it within himself. He didn't get it because he thought about hope. He didn't get it because he looked at some, some book that, that made him feel all good about the situation he was in. He didn't get it because he listened to some self-help guru tell him how to feel better. He didn't get it because he just thought, well, if I just hope enough, I'll feel better about what's going on. See, hope is not an end in itself. It's not the thing to be longed for. If you're longing for hope, you're missing the point. And you're going to miss your hope. Hope that's pursued is hope that is missed. Hope is the fruit of abiding faith in Jesus and God's indwelling presence within us. 
You see, he never looked at hope. He never said, oh, I'll just hope in you. He never said, I'll just look and just make myself believe that that everything's going to be okay. He looked forward to seeing his Redeemer. Paul, in Romans chapter 5, verses 2 through 5, he writes about this hope. And he says, through him, that's Jesus, through Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our suffering. Wait a minute. Rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, hope is the fruit of a pursuit of God's glory in all of life. Hope is the fruit of trusting deeply in the promises of Jesus Christ, our Redeemer and our Savior. Hope is not about looking at a situation and saying, I must have hope. Hope is about looking at a circumstance that's difficult and saying, I trust Jesus. I trust Him. He has his best for me. And even in this moment, while I might not understand how I can make it, there will be a day that in my flesh, with my own eyes, I will see Him. And today, as believers in Jesus, our hope, our opportunity for hope is just as real, it's just as certain as Job's. It's just as real and just as certain as Paul's. See, the Christian's lack of hope is not an indication that Jesus failed, but a Christian's failure to keep Jesus front and center. I want you to own that for a minute. Because as you're dealing with a sense of being overwhelmed, a sense of fear, a sense of, a sense of being at the end of your rope, a sense that you can't handle where you're at, that you can't handle what's been given to you, it's not because Jesus failed you. It's because you've quit looking at Jesus. You're not waiting well. You see, you've taken your eyes off of Him and you've you've been distracted by some lesser treasure. I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand upon the earth and I will see him in my flesh with my own eyes I and not another do you believe that are you pressing into that are you letting that rule in you to the degree that you believe it is the degree at which you will experience the hope of Jesus Christ. You see, your hope, your hope is really going to be built on those things that you believe in the most. But hope in the finite is always false hope. Look, we hope in things all the time. I hope today when I came in here this morning, I rode my motorcycle, and I'm going to tell you it was cold hoping for a better, warmer day. What 
what confidence do I have in that? What certainty do I have? Has the weatherman never been wrong? And I'm hoping it's a little warmer later. I'm telling you. We hope in things all the time. We hope our kids grow up to be presidents and, 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 and vice presidents. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe even some of us hope that our kids grow up and aren't so extraordinary. I don't know. But we hope for all kinds of things all the time. We have no certainty in them. Hope in the finite is always false hope. But the hope we find in Jesus will never fail. It will never put you to shame. It will never disappoint you. And it's always there for the Christian to take hold of. See, listen to this. Just as the story progresses, I just want to let you know how the story ends up with Job. He comes to this place where he gets past his suffering. Everything seems to be going well. His life is coming back together. God restores everything he lost in in double uh, by two times. So he has now, like, uh, I'm not going to go back and do the math. You can read about it. It's in Job chapter 42. He has a whole bunch of oxen. He has a whole bunch more camels. He has a whole bunch more lambs. He's got all this stuff. And even in the kids that he lost, while we know that you can't necessarily replace kids, God gave him ten children again, seven boys and three daughters. He restored him. He restored Job. And And he climbed back to that place of prominence. But that was never Job's hope, was it? He never hoped that one day he'd be prominent, a prominent figure again, did he? You see, all of that's temporary. All of that's finite. The very last of the book, the very last verse of the book says this, Job 42, 17, and Job died. What do you think? All those oxen, all those camel, all those sheep, all those, all those kids and grandkids that came, he lived for and saw four generations extend from him. What did that matter at the day that he faced death? Job died, an old man and full of days. Job's great hope was not in his circumstances. It was not in his possessions. It was not in his ability. It was not in any of the people around him. It was in his Redeemer. The hope placed in your possessions is never certain. Your house could burn down in a moment. I'm not trying to be morbid, and and if you're superstitious, I'm sorry. I mean, you could go home to a house that's in embers. your loved ones there's no promise that they're with you by the end of this service the, 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 the money that's in your bank account you're counting on that our economics our, 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 it's been volatile oh everything's getting better people are spending like crazy where do you think that's going to lead us Hope built on circumstances will eventually crumble. They change in an instant. Anything could happen in a moment. A wind could come up and blow this building down and kill us. You think that his children that day that they were partying in that house, you think Job's children were planning on a wind picking up and blowing the house in on them? Do you think that the servants were prepared for a fire to fall from heaven? How do you get ready for stuff like that? How do you plan for that? There's not one. Hope in our own abilities. Man, you may be able to do a lot. But I can tell you, you can't do enough. And hope placed in a person 
we disappoint one another all the time. I, I think of my wife and, and the ways that I have unintentionally let her down. Not in, it's not a plan. I hurt her feelings. I, I, I don't measure up. I don't live up to the expectations. I, I was the fool that chose Ephesians 5 as my vows, and I promised to love her like Christ loved the church. Do you know how many days I've done that? Man, I failed. The reality is I'm going to disappoint you too. At some point, I'm going to inadvertently forget I have an appointment with you. It's happened a couple times. I'm going to accidentally offend you. I'm going to say something you don't like. I'm not going to live up to your expectations. I'm not going to be quite holy enough for you. I'm going to disappoint you. But you know what? I'm already forgiving you because you're going to disappoint me. In fact, you just know it. You're forgiven. Would you be that generous with me? You see, we're not going to be able to do this for one another. We can't hope in one another, but we can hope in the one that brought us together. We can hope in our Lord Jesus. See, our hope is only as strong as the object of our faith. And if you're believing in some finite thing to give you some lasting, ever everlasting, eternal satisfaction, you will be disappointed. You will find yourself wanting. And I don't want that for you. So I say trust Him. Trust Him who was without sin, who existed eternally above all others. Trust in the one that John wrote of in his opening verses in 1, 1 through 2. It says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Trust in the one who didn't just stay in the beginning but came. And it says in verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Truth. Remember that moment that He came and trust in that. Trust in the Eternal One who came and put on flesh and dwelt among us. And stand up in hope for a much brighter day. Remember what He's done and look forward with confidence to those promises that have yet to be fulfilled. They are your present possession. Let not your hearts be troubled, he said to his disciples on the last night he would be with them. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would not have told you that I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I will take you to myself. This is our great Hope in Him that He's not left us here to rot, but that there is a day He is coming to get us. I will come to take you to Myself that where I am you may be also. In your flesh, you and not another will see Him with your own eyes. See, one day Jesus, the One who came to us, is going to come for us. That's our great hope. And as we come into this Christmas season, don't be distracted. Don't get impatient. Hope and wait well in that hope in Jesus Christ. Let's pray.
Father, you're gracious, you're wonderful, you're, you're amazing, you're mighty and powerful, and yet you stop to consider us. To provide for us a, a grace, obviously we don't deserve a, a power that we could never merit. A provision, a gift that is so, so precious and, and true that there is no treasure that measures up. Would you in this moment, Father, in this time right now, convict us. Convict us of the idols that we, that we look to for that instant gratification, that those lesser treasures that we long for more than you. Would you restore us, Father? Would you put us back together that we might see you in your glory? That we might have a sense of that moment that we have to look forward to where we will stand in Your presence, not in fear, but in, in, in boldness. And courageously, because we have been cleansed by the blood of Your Son. Because we have been called holy and blameless. Because You have justified us. And you're sanctifying us. And you promise that you will glorify us. God, would you enable us to stand in hope? Would you help us to, to take our eyes off of our circumstances and quit measuring your provision based on what we experience, but rather for what you have done and promised to do? God, would you work in these moments? Would you, through the indwelling presence of your Spirit, empower us to wait, hopefully, to long for you and look forward to you coming for us. It's all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, each week we come to a time to respond, and, and certainly there's a, a sense that there's things that we need to just confess. You need to spend some time in confession. We, we, we need to do that regularly. And certainly there's a, a sense that we need to just be, that, that we just need to stand up in this and recognize that we have this great hope and that it's ours to apply to our lives it's been given to us by faith in Christ and through the presence of the Holy Spirit within us it is ours and he made it possible he made it a certainty when he died on the cross and he shed his blood that we might be washed clean that he allowed his body to be broken that ours may one day be restored And then he rose from the grave, giving meaning to it all, solidifying it all, making it all, putting the nail in the coffin of death and sin. It's done. It's finished. Hope is yours. And we need to stand up in that. And we, need to, we need to strive to walk in that. There's only one way to do that. Take your eyes off of everything but him. For some of you, you may have never trusted in Jesus Christ before. You may, you may not know Him. You, you may hear me talking about these things, and you may not have any idea or any understanding of it at all, but, but suddenly something has clicked within you, and you want to trust in Him. You want to believe in Him. Don't pursue Him for hope. Don't pursue Him for the things He can offer. Pursue Him. We just encourage you to do that. If you've never trusted in Christ but would like to surrender your life now and 
and follow him and, and believe in him and trust in him, come to the back and let us pray with you. Let's talk with you about what that means and what it looks like. Maybe some of you here today are in the midst of some of the greatest struggles of your life. I want you to take the words of Job and I want you to take them home and I want you to repeat them to yourself over and over and over. The truths that are in those verses are not for Job alone. They're recorded that we might all know them and hear them. Because God ensured that they were recorded that we could know them today. If you want some help and you want us to walk with you through that, that's what we're here for. We want to do that. We'll be at the back. Let us, let us pray with you. Let us pray over you. Let us encourage you and offer you a real comfort and, and show you real compassion. We're not going to make you feel guilty. We're not going to push you over. We're not going to condemn you. We're just going to encourage you to look at your Savior, to look at your Redeemer. I don't know how you need to respond, but however it is, however the Spirit's leading you, you need to respond just as, as, as Matt's leading us in song.